0: This is the
2: Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm not Tom Hartman. I'm Jefferson Smith. It is a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Tom right now is at a conference. We'll be talking about that this morning. But I also want to talk to you because it is Anything Goes Friday. The first time I had the honor of joining you, we asked the question, what is the big lie? Goebbels and Hitler taught and explained and recommended that the lie be big enough and repeated enough, and if it was big enough and repeated enough, people would believe it. And we asked you, what was your impression of right now? What was the big lie? Not just the Sarah Huckabee Sanders explanation of the day, not just the Donald Trump fib of the week or the moment, but what are the big, persistent, every day, over 40 years, Misconceptions and misstatements that are clouding our judgment and clouding our democracy. The next time I had the honor and privilege of joining you, we asked, What's the big why? Why are we doing this? I want to start out by saying thank you to Sean and Nate and Arthur, the people who put on this show, who helped make it possible, who helped make it possible for me to sit in this chair for this morning. And to you who listen, Because you listen, this is not just I recognize that it's not just an entertainment exercise. This is something that is building a community that where people are getting together to figure out how can democracy work? Will it continue to go forward? Is this merely the end of the American empire or is there also a moment here to seize and re-seize the democratic experiment? And why do we spend this time? Why do we get together like this? And we took some marvelous comments from our listeners about what's the big why. Well, today is Anything Goes Friday. What I want to ask you is, how should it go? How do you want it to go? What should be our big try? What's the big thing that we should aim for in our system of democracy or the big things? There was just a primary. There was just a primary. And California begat a really interesting set of lessons or set of questions. And they used the top two primary, which meant that in the scramble, in the run-up to this, there were people wondering, well, what if there are a district of 10 candidates with three Republicans and seven Democrats, or three Democrats and seven Republicans, and what if you ended up even in a district with a majority of one party with two candidates from the other party in the final round? And it raises the question about how we want to elect people, how we want to spend the money, how we want to cast the votes, how we want districts to be drawn, how we want political parties to work. How do we want it to go? It's Anything Goes Friday, so I suspect there are probably some limits on Anything Goes. The FCC still exists. But I'm curious, and I think we're curious, about what we should be trying to do. What should be that big try? What should we work on to make democracy work better? There's news going on. We'll be talking to Carl Frisch today. We'll be talking to Kristen Eberhardt of the Sightline Institute. Mark Frohnmeyer is going to give one answer of how it might go. Already, I think I've been hearing calls. We might have some people waiting. We've got John coming in from Free Speech TV. Let's see if I can click it. I also want to say thank you in advance, not only to the team, but also to you for your patience. One thing about doing this not as many times is there'll be some mistakes. You'll bear with me, and I'll appreciate it a lot. Hi hi yes uh, I
3: wanted to say that the big lie I think is that we have nothing to gain by uh, coming together that this is an individualist society and that everybody's on their own politics doesn't matter you got to grab your uh, piece or hold on to your piece uh this is just an out and out you know propaganda lie that is uh, promulgated by the right by commercial uh, television like, for instance, I've been just recently watching um, Jerry Fein- Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and for Jerry Seinfeld, uh, it worked very well. He tapped into uh, just a gross commercial aspect of cultural life. He was able to capitalize off, off of it, and for him, every, you know, things, it's, you're either a winner or a loser. Well, we can all be winners, and we were all winners before Ronald Reagan And that is the progressive message. It's not Marxist.
2: It's not leftist. It just makes sense. So your idea, John, and thank you for calling in. It's just the basic idea that we're stronger together than we are apart. And the idea that each of us will reach our best selves merely by selfishness. We're probably fooling ourselves. And by the way, every lesson we learn as little kids teaches us, no, don't just be selfish. But then for some reason, there's a political movement that's trying to convince us that maybe that's all we need. Yes, yes. John, thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's hear from Eric. It's anything goes Friday. You are listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff. Doesn't matter who hey, gets Eric. elected, says Eric. Eric, go ahead. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm well. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I've been working at the same
4: job for 23 years.
2: What's the job? And
4: and I am well, I work in a grocery store. I'm a right. grocery manager. And my life has not changed much over my career. Um, you know, it was pretty much the same under Clinton and then Bush and then Barack Obama, and, and nothing has really changed now. So, so just put that aside. It doesn't seem like the, the uh, political figures don't have much to do with anything. What I want to say is it seems like it's the corporate or not. I don't want to say corporate because that's such a bad word. It's the people that have money uh, that seem to be in charge. Um, it seems like you know you have Amazon that's moving up and you know and, and pushing things. You have Starbucks. I, I used to go down to uh, coffee shops downtown in, in Sacramento here, the little mom and coffee shops that were fantastic. Once Starbucks got here, they all went out of business. And it seems like it was, it's because of you know the way capitalism is structured, the person with the most money is going to win, is going to have the influence if you will, to shape society. And so, you know, all this talk about, you know, what, who's going to get elected and everything like that just seems like mental masturbation. Am I off base on this? Because it just seems like that's how I see it.
2: Yeah, stay on the phone for a moment. I heard you say two different things, and I want to respond to one. The, my quick summary is the first thing, I am going to partially disagree, and the second thing, I'm going to largely agree. So the first thing I heard you say was that it doesn't really matter who gets elected because stuff in your life has stayed roughly the same. I, I was yep. in a meeting yesterday, and I, and I hear you. The, uh, uh, I was in a meeting yesterday, and we were talking about the state budget. I live in the state of Oregon. And we were looking okay. at the impact that that's had on school days on, a graduation, on graduation rates in Oregon. And we've been looking at the structural budget deficits in my little state. And realizing the decisions that were made happened over about 20 years that have made it harder now for individual states and then individual counties, individual school districts to afford as many school days and that that is having an impact on graduation rates. And my comment I offered, I said, the problem is, is that too many elected leaders and too many voters and too many donors and too many activists are gnats. And by that I do not mean they are small and impotent. By that I mean their lifespans are short, their attention spans are meager, if they were born in the summer, they think the world has always been hot. If they are born in the winter, they think the world has always been cold. The challenge is, however, things do change. I I would say that the temperature of the planet has grown in those 23 years, but more importantly, you've been working as a grocery store manager, and thank you for doing that work, but more importantly, over the last 100 years since industrialization, that the budget gap in, or I should say the wealth gap between rich and poor is the biggest now than it was since 100 years ago during the progressive era that the, well, right, the, the well, co- wait, let me, wait, let, me, wait, let, me let me let me let me bear with me for a moment that I, I, okay. co- when i went to law school the, I, the law school i went to cost well I'll, let me go back to the year i was born the year i was born a year at my law school cost the same as a flight across the atlantic ocean they're both about a thousand dollars now a flight across the atlantic ocean still about a thousand dollars but a year at my law school fifty thousand dollars a year give or take That means lots of people can't go, or if they do go, it means that they owe their life to the company store. It means they have to take a job that will pay that back, and if they want to do public service work, it makes it harder. Now, it was hard for me to notice this. I didn't notice the tuition change very much while I was in law school. I didn't even notice it over a 10-year period, but I've noticed it when I look at the graph after the fact. But you said something else, so I, I don't. I don't agree when you say, well, it doesn't." it's just mental masturbation, I think was the term you used. None of this stuff matters. I think it matters a lot, but it's trench warfare. And by that, this is an analogy well, I, that was given me. Yeah, can I say yeah, this, Go, 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 this go this ahead, and then I'll need a respond. No, no this,
4: this is just my experience. I'm not saying I'm
2: right. Oh, yeah. No, I get it, and I appreciate that humility. I want to come with as much humility, but you're on to something really important, which is, I think, the second thing you said, which is that, thinking that the only thing that has to happen is we pay attention to who the president is That the only thing that happens or that matters is a given election and that what happens in between that doesn't matter that much we got another thing coming and beyond that the only system we have is not merely the electoral system. Our economic system is also critical. And I think you're right that wealth decisions are maybe having more impact on day-to-day lives than governmental decisions, but governmental decisions impact all of those, including wealth decisions, over time. So anyway, that's my take, but I appreciate your perspective. And what I guess what I'd say in summary is keep at it, and none of us can be gnats. Right. Thank okay. you very much, man. Well, thank
4: ma'am. you for... Thank you for talking to me. I appreciate
2: it. I hope it was madly useful. George, are you can you hear me? Oh, we lost George. Michael, are you with us? Hey Jeff, you got me? I got you, I think. Okay, I was fortunate enough to talk to you last
5: time when you were on for Tom. And uh, I remember the story you told us that you went to the best law firm. You were making 250 right off the bat. So you have changed your life. You've made it, and you are a good
2: soul mentally. Not all the time. The... Okay, okay, well, that's, that's between you and whatever. But <laughs> I,
3: wanted, I, I wanted your opinion on there must be some good billionaires out there, right?
2: <laughs> I, there, are, there are certainly people who are better and people who are worse. Make your point quick before they're going to take us to commercial. Okay, my point is, Jeff, just explain to us the difference between the Koch brothers, the Mercers, these evil, evil
3: billionaires and the billionaires who have the same, you know, power and status,
2: but are are good people. I will. And let's take that right after the break. We're going to go to commercial in just a moment. Michael from Free Speech TV. Thank you so much. You're listening to Anything Goes Friday. This is the Tom Hartman program. I'm Jeff. Honored to be with you. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Some of you are watching it. And by the way, thanks for doing that. I'm Jefferson Smith, in for Tom. We've had calls in. I want to take this call from Marsha. Marsha from Englewood, Hi. Florida. Good morning.
0: Hi, Jeff. Good to see you again.
2: Nice to be I here. Have an, I have
0: an opinion on one of the biggest lies there is, and that is that when we give tax breaks to the billionaires, it's going to improve the economy. I have yet to see that happen. Ronald Reagan's trickle down economics has been the biggest disaster. Corporations got, have grown massively while everybody's income is laying flat. And I, that, I think that's going to bring our government down. That, along with um, destroying regulations, whether it's uh, Radio regulations, what you can say on the radio and, or TV uh, regulations about the environment, they're destroying all that. Everything we've worked for, for so many years, is all being destroyed.
2: Marsha, thank you so much for the call. The point that you made sounds to me really closely linked to the very first call that we had this morning who said the big lie is that selfishness is sufficient. Uh, Gordon Gecko made the argument that greed is good. We can argue about whether or not greed is good, depending in part on the definition of the word. If it is a desire to achieve, a desire to get some stuff for yourself and your family, there are strong arguments in favor of some of the benefits of that behavior. But I don't think anybody with a straight face can argue that greed is sufficient or greed is fully virtuous, or greed doesn't have downside. And so it's all the big argument. And I agree with you that if we are trying to identify the big lie, the big lie, in fact, in fact, Tomas Ungvari, who was a professor of mine at a summer program at UCLA years ago, he, he was described to me by a Hungarian student as the third most brilliant man in Hungary, which always stuck with me because how did they pick? And how did he know he was precisely the third rather than the sixth or the second? And he said the big big lie of the 20th century was that the sum of the self-interest will yield the public interest. The big argument that too many people had abdicated, that too many people thought was somehow true, was that all we needed to do was worry about ourselves and then everything else would just work out. Reward the powerful, and everything will work out for everybody else. And after we come back from break, I don't want to Respond to every question with a rant, but I do have a rant about it, and I do appreciate that call. Uh, let me take, uh, let me take Maine's call, listening from WCPT in Chicago. Maine, you there? Maine, can you hear me?
6: Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm right
2: here. Yeah, go me? ahead. Maine? It turns out, turns out we got about thirty seconds. You got a time to make your point or ask your question?
6: Yeah. Well, I was wanting to say that uh, our Democrats need to get a uh, sacred cow issues like free education, free health care, uh, to, 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 to democratize capitalism, I mean, to, to back down on some of this stuff that uh, Reaganomics has called, this trickle-down is called. No longer go on trickle-down. Say we're going to go from the middle, from the bottom and the middle up. Sacred cow issues that, that they run on, I mean, nationwide. This is, uh, and this is how we, you know, and then take this... Have this country where it's more people-orientated instead of like capitalist-orientated.
2: Amen, Maine. Amen to the idea of some core issues to stand by that everything else is built around, including some primary programs. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. It's Friday, which means it's Anything Goes Friday. We're not asking just about the big lie or the big why, but also the big try. Give us a call. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Some of you are watching it. I'm Jefferson Smith. I'm joining you today. Honored to do it. I wanted to respond to Maine's call. Uh, and th- there needed to be big program and big idea and core issues and core argument. and and not And he is not, Maine is not only preaching to the converted, he's preaching to a preacher that I believe this as much as I believe just about anything, that if the only thing we do is go from issue to issue, critique to critique, minor concern to medium-sized concern concern to other minor or medium-sized concern, that does not build a movement. And what is needed in this country is in fact a movement. Is a reestablishment of a movement that we're in this together, that we are stronger together than we are apart, that democracy and not only property matter, and we need big core ideas to do that now today's anything goes friday and one of my opening questions was how do you want it to go how should this democracy work if you could make a change to how we elect people how we pay for campaigns how districts are drawn how many of which thing are voted for by how and by whom what would you change how would you change our system of democracy to have a better system of democracy, or at least have something more akin to a democratic republic, what do you think? I want to take one call right now on this subject. It's Dave Frohnmayer. Excuse me, it's Mark Frohnmayer. I also knew his dad. He's calling from Oregon. Uh, Mark, are you with us? Mark, can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Hey, there you are. Good to see you. All right. All right. All right. Likewise. So likewise. the question. So the question I asked. Loved the question. I heard the question. All right,
6: but ask it again. By all means. So, so the so the it, question
2: I, I asked was, if today is anything goes Friday, how do people want it to go? And by that I mean, if we want our democracy to work, how can it work better? I know that you have either a grand idea or a hobby horse, depending on one's perspective. Why don't you pitch <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it? Uh,
6: democracy is my hobby. Um, so so in the word, it's. I mean, look at the word itself: democracy. Uh, demos, people, kratia have the power embedded in that whole idea is that we share this political power equally it's the it's the it's like the bedrock principle of of democratic theory is this principle of one person one vote
2: the people right? should that be in charge
6: vote, that your vote the people should be in charge and that, that not only that but like your vote and my vote should count the same they should carry the same weight um and i think what i've, I've done I, 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 ever since i was a kid and you know obviously dad was a, a politician and uh, so
2: and let me to pause to there. Washington. For people who don't know, your dad was attorney general of the state of Oregon and was head of University of Oregon and, and by the way, was Republican. I don't believe you are currently a Republican. Please continue.
6: No, I'm a super liberal Democrat mom and, and uh, moderate Republican dad equals independent son. Um, so, uh, but but the, uh, what I saw really for the first time when I was 16 years old was the spoiler <laughs> effect up close and personal. And then, of course, it happened again on the national stage in 20 in in 2000. Um, And just this what what I came to realize is that the way that we actually make our choice is inherently unequal. That is to say that if there are two candidates in a race that you like and there's just one candidate in the race that I like, that I actually have effectively double the voting power that you do because everyone who thinks like you will split their
2: votes. And we just saw the that Republicans that, in California, and I'm going to I'm gonna have to move you along a little bit, because we've got a have. bunch of callers uh, that, that we want to also get in. But the, we just saw in California that independents now outnumber Republicans. Uh, independents are approaching in Oregon. I think independents may have just outpaced Republicans in Oregon as well. They have. Uh, yep. and, and, and the concern is, if a lot of the action is happening in primaries, a lot of people don't have a chance to participate in those primaries. Uh, it's an ongoing debate. It got more heated when Ralph Nader was running for president and when George W. Bush was elected. I want to hear I want people to have a chance to hear, though, your idea.
6: Yeah. So the core idea is we have a Byzantine election process that doesn't do a very good job of representing what the people actually want. So what's a system that would? And we're proposing a new system called star voting. Star is score, then automatic runoff. And it's super simple. You vote instead of instead of being limited to one choice, you can give a score from zero, no support, full support to any and all candidates on the ballot that you want the two highest scoring candidates are the finalists and then your vote your full vote is automatically assigned to whichever of those two finalists you gave a higher score and what that ends up doing is it sort of compresses what is now a multi-election process into one very expressive very difficult to game choice that at, at its root always means that you can be totally honest about who you really support in the race, an honest vote in star is a strong vote. And it's also, you know, it's, it's a very simple system to count. So it's a,
7: so if somebody
6: is a good,
2: yeah, so, so just to, to paraphrase, what I think I heard you say, if, uh, if everybody were running at once, Let's say somebody's first choice were Jill Stein, their second choice were Bernie Sanders, their third choice were Hillary Clinton. They wouldn't be faced with a uh, with the same challenge they're faced with now. Well, do I do I vote for the person I'd like best, or do I vote for the person I think has the best chance to win, who I could handle? Right. But they could well they could vote in that order. They could give uh, five stars to Jill Stein, four stars to Bernie Sanders, three stars to Hillary Clinton. And if as many just if, if Bernie Sanders got the most stars, he'd win. But if he didn't get the most stars, you wouldn't have thrown away your vote cuz you still gave some stars to Hillary Clinton. Yes. Is that about right? It
6: it, it ends the, the the wasted vote uh, phenomenon entirely. And you may feel like, "Hey, you could get you could go 554, five, you could go 544, four, you could give 541." What the 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 notion is that you can express not just your your preference order, but actually how much you support each candidate. And then and then that that whole the process of it ends up doing a very good job of representing the overall will of the electorate, so that, so that, you know, one, we can kind of collapse what is a very long and expensive campaign process into just one election, but also to your point of having to choose between the candidate you really like and the one that you think can win. Understood. Because usually the one you think can win is the one that has raised the most money, you know, sort of is, is, is most in that game.
2: How would, how, would this, how would this have impacted, and this is probably the, maybe the last question I'll have a chance to ask, how would something like this have impacted the California election we just saw this week when there was concern that with a top-two primary, with a jungle primary, you'd end up having some odd results of two yeah. candidates from one party being the only two that remained. It turned out to not play out that way that much, but it looked kind of yeah, but, close so in a few what places. You
6: sh- what you saw though was you saw active manipulation on the part of party insiders to try and get people to pull off, for, for very good reasons, try and pull out of the race so that there wouldn't be that vote splitting effect. And it's that kind of manipulation that is super toxic in, in the, dem- in the, in the democracy that we have now. It's just sort of, it's a, it's a part of the game. It's, a, it's how it has to be played with the rules today. But in Star, you just wouldn't have to. You don't have vote splitting. You can support all the candidates you want. So it actually encourages participation rather than discourages it. And I guess, Jeff, last point, uh, StarVoting.us, there's an active campaign to make this a local, uh, a, a local win in both Multnomah and Lane counties in Oregon. So StarVoting.us, that's the Portland campaign. Would love to have folks uh, certainly up in your neighborhood who are interested jump in.
2: Mark Frohnmeier, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for plugging the thing. It is Anything Goes Friday. Question I've got is, how do you want it to go? Right. What do we want our democracy to do? How do we want it to work? We're taking your calls and we appreciate them. Let's take Scott's call. Scott, call it. We, 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 were, we were broadcasting from Oregon. We took an Oregon caller, so I'm going to the other coast. We're going to Ithaca, New York. Scott, how you doing?
8: Very good. You know, we're we're the big liberals in Ithaca, of course.
2: <laughs> Go ahead. You wanted to make a point about candidates for public office and public media.
8: Yeah, and you know, I do. I guess I get attacked once in a while when you you know maybe even calling in with stuff like this. But I, in my particular situation, um, getting on the ballot, like even before um, your last uh, caller, the, the guest, but um, it, it, getting on the ballot is is the is the first hurdle. And when the party is against somebody from challenging an incumbent, they go all out to, like, not help you. And so I missed out on the signatures, so I don't even get to be on the ballot in the primary. I would have been the only Democratic challenger in, this, in the U.S. Senate race. So now I'm doing a write-in campaign, and it, that hasn't been successful since, I think it was Murkowski in, in Alaska, 10 years ago, was the last person who
2: you So you were trying, you were trying to get – in New York, can you file by paying a fee, or is the only way to file by gathering the signatures?
8: You have to get fifteen thousand minimum statewide signatures and a hundred in, you know, like one more than a majority of the of the congressional districts, and you know, but you have to get pretty much twenty twenty five thousand signatures unless you have an army of people working for you, which I wanted to tap into the Bernie people, and they have put all their eggs in the basket with other races and also Cynthia Nixon, and I, I just don't. I mean, you know, with with King Cuomo, I don't think she's going to win. I don't think she's going to win the primary, and they're. They, and they put all their eggs in that basket. But I think when you're, you're going back to your question about what you would do to change, yeah, they think there's three main things: is you know term limits. I'm a term limit person. I only want to serve one six-year term, and turn it over to somebody else who's you know qualified, to, you know, for this job. And getting on the ballot, I think, I think the media needs to give people like me a break and cover them, and, and so people know who you are and what you're all about. And and when people there was somebody who just uh, emailed me or Facebook messaged me last night from Canada and she wanted to absentee ballot ballot for me for the primary. And I had to say, guess what? I didn't make the primary, but you could still write me in. I don't know. S-
2: setting aside, s- setting aside your or at least uh, you, it, at very most using your experience as an example. What's the sort of broader point for access to the ballot that you would most want to leave people with?
8: I think the tiered system that you talked about is good, but getting on the ballot in the first place is going to – I think it really does go back to the media coverage. It goes back to, like, you need to know who possible candidates are so that you can make an intelligent choice to choose who you're going to vote. Um, and I think the the voting system need, needs to be more open to that. Got it. Um, and you can't, you can't write in somebody in a primary, too. That's one also obstacle. Got it. So if people wanted to write me in, they can't do that. But I want to bring up one. No, no,
2: that, we we got, we got to do one point per caller because we got a lot of people. The, the, the calls are coming in, man. They're coming in. They're, people are on fire. they got to have their voice heard. Appreciate your call. And want to reply to it, though, at least in this way, that, the, that I do have a question about whether uh, the more important thing is the ability to get on the ballot, which I think is important or the ability to get the message out And not only through the ability to raise and spend a ton of dough, and I have some understanding at least of the expense and of the challenge of the New York media market. It's, uh, I think, the most expensive media market in the country, second most, I think, is Southern California. Uh, Somebody can correct me on that. So the barriers to democracy, I mean, Cynthia Nixon started getting some traction because she had a famous TV show and because she was respected in a lot of activist circles. Had she only had one of those things, it would have been hard. only been respected in activist circles it would have been challenging. Uh, let's let's jump to uh, from New Boston Steve want to talk about border wall anything goes yeah. Friday?
4: Yeah hi Jefferson thank you for taking my call. Uh, yeah it is about the uh, U.S. Mexican border wall. I did a little
5: research and found out that it's about 2,000 miles long. Yeah. Then I looked up what is it going to be made out of and the current postings are saying concrete but they also say is mentioned that other materials are also being considered too. So I have a question. Other than con- concrete, what is also a plausible material that can be used to build the wall?
2: Flim Just going to be made <laughs> out of flimflam. That's all they need. Flim flam.
4: Seriously, what can it be made out of?
2: Plexiglass? Rebar? I, I, I guess the other thing would be fence materials, right? Like the, the, the kind well, of...
5: The actual material. The actual type of material. It's not concrete. Oh, you're concrete
2: saying concrete. steel, and aluminum, and the stuff we're putting yeah. tariffs on? Yeah, steel. So
5: yeah. now, uh, uh, what just got hit? Well, steel got hit by a big import tariffs, right?
2: Yeah. This, this may be the, the, a new barrier to the wall. It might not be the biggest one. But, Steve, I appreciate your point very much. We're going to be right back.
7: Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs. And if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X-chair. The X-chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X-chair. And the X-chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X-chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom T-H-O-M. or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, return it for a full refund. Order today and save $100 and get free shipping. If you go to XCHAIRTOM.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's XCHAIRTOM.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. XCHAIRTOM.com.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. You're listening to Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for doing it. It's Anything Goes Friday. The question that I have posed is, how do we want it to go? If we are fighting for something akin to democracy, if we think that the big idea of the United States wasn't merely that you could own things buy things and sell things. But the big idea, at least the best part of the United States, was that we control the country together, that the people are in charge, that we have a government of the people, for the people, by the people. If that's the big idea, then that's worth fighting for. And if the fall of the American empire is not only a fall of power, but a fall of democracy, then there is a moral duty, not only a utilitarian one, not only an economic one, not only a power or ego one, but a moral responsibility to do something about that. And if you follow along with me on that line of logic, and I could understand various places where you might disagree, it then begs the question, how are we going to make this democracy work? Are we sure that all of the systems by which we elect ourselves or one another or somebody we've never met are the way those systems ought to be? And if not, how do we want to change them? We've heard a couple different ideas. we heard about star voting. we heard about the spoiler challenge of the two-party system. There are some advantages of a two-party system. There's also a question of districts. The Obama administration and former Obama officials have taken it upon themselves to try to do something about the gerrymandering or gerrymandering, and yet yeah, it was Elbridge Gary was how apparently the guy pronounced his name. I never met him that is now even more rampant and more obviously rampant than it has been at least in my lifetime. On the phone now with us is Kristen Eberhard. Kristen is with the Sightlight Institute. She has an idea about districts that is not only about how to make sure they are drawn fairly, but about how many candidates should be in them and why that matters. She also focuses on and investigates democracy and systems of voting, generally including campaign finance, and might offer us any number of points of wisdom. Kristen, good morning, and thanks for being with us.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Everything good with you? Yes.
2: All right, good. As long as everything is good with you, as long as nothing is bad and everything is good, that's good.
1: (laughs) Well, Really, how could everything be good? Right
2: everything now? can't always be good, <laughs> I know, I know. Where do you want to start? You want to start with? Uh, you want to start with multi-member districts?
1: Sure, actually, let's start with gerrymandering. That's, All right. And I'm going to say gerrymandering. That's I fine. I Gary.
2: Yeah, you're a Seinfeld fan? I'm an Elbridge Gary fan. I don't even think I'm an Elbridge Gary <laughs> fan. Go ahead.
1: Um, so a lot of people think that what gives gerrymandering its power is politicians drawing the line. But I think what really gives gerrymandering its power is just the fact that you're only electing one person from that district, which means that up to half of the votes don't really matter. So even if a politician didn't draw the lines, even if it was just a computer drew them, and it happens to be an urban district that leans Democrat, and only the Democrat can win. So anybody who doesn't like that Democrat is kind of out of luck. And so the same thing in a rural district that might be safe for Republicans, even if a computer drew the lines. Safe for Republicans. Other votes don't matter, um, and that's really the power of gerrymandering. It, it takes away the power of the voters and just gives it to like whoever whichever party happens to be safe in that particular district.
2: And, and if I can, if I can pause there, I can, uh, can, can I pause there for just a moment? The uh, uh, yeah. have you read Have you read The Big Sort?
1: I have not read it, but I've read his article. Like. Um,
2: Good. I read I the book read jacket. So you're a little ahead of me. OK, so the uh, <laughs> no, no, actually I met the dude, the dude when we were doing the bus project back in the day. He uh, he, he interviewed us early on. In fact, apparently he wrote a portion of a chapter and then took us out of the book. I'll never forgive him. But the uh, uh, but the, the big sort tells the story. Actually, why don't you why don't you make the, the basic case? Because the because to me, I see it through that lens that part of the challenge of however you draw districts is that we've sorted ourselves geographically. But why don't you make why don't you make that point if you want to?
1: Yeah, so his argument, you know, played out with data, is that Americans who are kind of open to multiculturalism and have a more progressive worldview are moving to cities, places where they can be um, part of a multicultural metro- metropolis, and that people who want to live a more sort of traditional lifestyle, you know, go to church and you know, marriages between a man and a woman are staying in or moving to more rural areas. And so the result is that, you know, the maps that we see on election day are kind of saying this type of person is living in this place and this type of person is living in this place. So if you look around at your neighbors, they probably most agree with you. And if you go to the polls on election day, you're all going to vote for the same type of person. And if there happen to be pockets of conservatives living in your urban area or progressives living in your rural area, they're kind of out of luck when it comes to representation in our supposedly representative
2: democracy. Right, and people have seen uh, two easy examples, Uh, one that everybody has seen, which is the blue and red map, uh, which doesn't mean, you know, in a, even in an election where the Democratic candidate gets more votes than the Republican candidate, which has been the last several uh, presidential elections, the uh, even then, they're gonna be a sea of red because people have sorted themselves. And here was the fact that I remember from the book that I found interesting, uh, and is that compared to 1973, uh, we have become slightly more ethnically integrated. Time of writing the book, I think, you said it was you were 4% more likely to live next door or in the same neighborhood as someone with a different ethnic background. But over that same period of time, I think we become, I think it was 48% less likely to live next door or in the same neighborhood as someone with whom we disagree. So we have sorted ourselves along ideological and racial to some degree and religious to some degree lines, but particularly ideological lines. So what, did, Kristen, what do you want to do about that?
1: What I want to do is have multi-winner districts, which is what most developed countries uh, do. It is only the UK and her former colonies that still do it the way we do with single winner districts. And even New Zealand, which is a former colony, realized in the 1990s this was not working well. They were, you know, voters' votes were not counting. The legislature was not representing all of the voters. And they switched to the sort of 21st century model of having multi winner districts, where you draw a bigger district and you have more than one representative coming from that district, which means that more votes within that district are going to count. It also has this interesting effect where right now, because we're so sorted and things are so polarized in the United States, it's very hard to work across the aisle because the Democrats all are not just have a similar ideology, but they all come from a similar place. You know, they're all coming from the urban areas and the Republicans, for the most part, are coming from more rural areas. So they just have nothing in common. Whereas with a multi-member district, and we know this not just internationally, but Illinois actually used this model for 100 years. And what they found was that you would have a you know, conservative and a progressive and maybe kind of a centrist all from the same district. So when they got to the legislature, they had the same constituents. And so they were interested in working together on things that worked for their constituents. So there were a lot more Uh, us, I and bringing up of interesting ideas and more kind of like independent candidates who are not just towing the party line. All
2: right. So let me, let me, let me first build up and then push back. All right. So the the build up, as I understand it, and first make sure that I understand. So instead of, let's say the state of Washington or, you know, the state of New York, the uh, state of, I almost said the state of Chicago, state of Illinois, the, uh. Imagine had a certain number of legislative districts. Let's say it had fifty legislative districts for the state house, and each elected you know one member to send them to the state house. You're saying instead you'd have what ten, and they each and each district would elect five, or you uh, so how would it work? And then I would vote for my favorite, and and the top three vote getters or the top five vote getters in that district would all go would all go on to the state house. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. So, okay, this is a crazy so idea, Chris. And I'm I'm right. Right. It's absolutely crazy. It's anything goes Friday, so it's okay that it's crazy. But it's crazy. Okay, so now, so so now, why why do you love this idea so much? We got like a minute and a half, and then but but m- make your case one more time.
1: Okay, so it gets better representation for across the ideological spectrum for women for people of color. It means that more votes actually count. So in the way that we vote now, up to half of the votes. Or, or more if you have, uh, don't have a top two primary, like most races in Oregon and Washington do, but some states have you know, top three or top four. And then more than half the votes can not go to elect somebody who you actually wanted to represent you. So voters are going to the polls, but they have nothing to show for it where, under our current system. Whereas under this system, almost everybody who goes to the polls polls will have a representative in the state capitol who represents them, who they voted for, who shares their views and who is there working hard for them.
2: So the, uh, and we just got a few more seconds. The, uh, and so the advantage would be that you would have fewer people who sort of felt just left out and that might make them engage further and it also might help us re-engage with our neighbors a little bit better. You'd have a little more cross-partisanship, which could be good. Here is my counter. Here is my challenge. My challenge with a lot of redistricting reforms and with this and with, uh, for instance, like even with a bunch of reforms is that if the only folks who do it are the people who are committed to small-D democracy, if the only states that do it are states that vote blue in the presidential race, those are not the same thing, what I just said, but there might be some overlap. If the only states who do it are those who are interested in kind of fluffy-hearted liberals who want to share power, meanwhile, there are a bunch of people whose purpose is to wield power, to hold on to it, not necessarily defined by political party necessarily. I worry that it will only be a power giveaway. Again, imagine two teams. One team who believes its world, its role in the world is to build power and maintain it the other team who thinks its role in the world is a share power, who going to win? That's my concern. Tell me why I'm stupid or wrong.
1: Well, certainly we shouldn't unilaterally disarm at the national level, right? Because the fluffy-hearted states should not start electing their congressional delegation in this way and have it be only them. Um, so one solution at the national level that uh, the national group Fairboat has come up with is for states to bilaterally disarm so you have a state that is ah. as gerrymandered red and a state that's gerrymandered blue at, with the same number of congressional representatives. And they kind of sign a thing saying, like, it's you go, I'll go. Oregon and, and Idaho do it go.
2: together. Uh, California exactly. and Texas do it together. All right. Yeah. Kristen Eberhardt, you are yeah. wonderful. It is delightful to spend time with you. Where can people find out more?
1: S-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E
2: dot Thank you so much for being with us. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. That was Kristen. We're teasing some big ideas today as part of Anything Goes Friday. How do you want it to go? This is the Tom Hartman Show. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Harper program. I'm Jeff. Jefferson Smith here, standing in for Tom. Honored to do it. Honored to be with you. It is Anything Goes Friday. The big question of the day is how do we want it to go? We've been talking a lot about democracy. First time I had the pleasure of being with you, we talked about the big lie. Ivan is on the phone from Chicago who has a call that I want to take quickly as a lead in to then talking to Carl Frisch about Mick Mulvaney and maybe a little about Scott Pruitt. Because I think Ivan's point, if I'm a good guesser, might help us get there. Ivan, how you doing, man?
6: Hey, Jefferson. First of all, let me just say Anthony Bourdain's loss is is a loss for America. Yeah. Uh, The big line, naturally, is the free market will provide everything we need, the unregulated free market. And sadly... The corporate fool, teabagger fools, 50% of Americans have bought this lie that government sucks, resulting in the corporate bot GOP in control of the house.
2: Oh, I lost you. I lost you, but I heard the point that this basic idea that government sucks and that, and again, and your call, by the way, it gets to the very first caller he had today that uh, th- this idea that selfishness is sufficient, that all we have to do is worry about our own selves and everything else will just work out. The, uh, uh, what happens when you have someone in charge? What happens when someone gains power in government who doesn't believe in the enterprise? What happens if they are entrusted to solve a problem And they either don't believe in the problem or don't believe a solution is necessary or even against it. Carl Frisch is joining us right now. Carl, can you hear me? (laughs) I
5: sure can. Uh, And I'm glad that it's uh, Anything Goes Friday because that's how it feels in Washington every
2: day. Yeah. So, so this article in Common Dreams, the headline that I cribbed, uh, what happens when you put someone in charge of an agency they think shouldn't exist, uh, says Elizabeth Warren after Mulvaney cut the CFPB panel. Uh, What can you tell us about what's happening with Mick Mulvaney? And it does seem like Scott Pruitt, it's a little bit (laughs) of a similar circumstance where they're entrusted with a thing that they would rather maybe drown in the bathtub.
5: Yeah, I can't think of anything more I less like doing than running a government agency that I fundamentally disagree with. Um, But that's where we are. Mick Mulvaney is the acting director of the CFPB for at least the next couple weeks. Uh, The deadline for President Trump to appoint his replacement is on June 22nd. Um, But then he'll be able to stay on indefinitely until that person is confirmed or denied. Anyways, uh, on Wednesday, uh, the CFPB under Mick Mulvaney disbanded, killed, gutted, uh, the Consumer Advisory Board for the CFPB, which is made up of academics and consumer advocates in some industry as well. Um, and he's legally obligated to meet with them twice a year. Yeah. But since he's been in office for the last eight months, he's canceled on them twice at the last minute. And this most recent time, he canceled last week, telling them, let's have a conference call next week. And then, and this is what's crazy about it. His team is saying that they didn't really fire anybody or get rid of anybody. It's just a you know reorganization. But if you listen to the actual call, which is available online, it sounds like that George Clooney movie where he flies around the country firing people. It's got all the HR buzzwords that you can imagine, like, we are transitioning and cost-saving measures and blah, blah you know. So it's clear what he's doing here. Um, and his team has offered any number of excuses for why they're doing this. First, they said, you know, all these board members, they just want these fancy junkets where they can come to Washington and be wined and dined. Well, and then the board members came forward and said, we're staying at the Hampton Inn. We're staying at the Holiday Inn. We pay for our own food. Uh, if you wanted us to pay for our own trips, we'd be happy to do it. So that excuse kind of fell away, um, not the least of which is remembering that Mick Mulvaney is a member of Congress, was wined and dined by industry and special interests who paid tens of thousands of dollars to fly him all over the world. Um, and then they said that there were too many members from the West Coast and the East Coast and not enough people from the middle of the country. But then American Banker, an industry publication, pointed out that that wasn't true and that most of the members came from the middle of the country. Yeah. So then today, and this is breaking news, we just posted video at alliedprogress.org. Mick Mulvaney was at a town hall meeting in Kansas where our research director confronted him during the Q&A portion and said, look, these excuses that the CFPB has given for disbanding this legally required entity, the Consumer Advisory uh, Board, uh, don't hold up. What's the truth, Mick Mulvaney? And Mulvaney essentially said people, unnamed people, have complained about the board, and he thinks that the meetings should be done in private without cameras. Is there good things can happen. It,
2: it, so I am troubled by your story, but not for the reason you think. I'm troubled by your story because I wonder if I'm supposed to care. And let me explain what I mean. I care about the functioning of our government a lot. I care about consumer protection a lot. I care about the rule of law a lot. I've already personally reached a conclusion that the current administration is going to do a number of things... That are contra to fundamental values, or at least to make it personal, fundamental values, at least that I share about how I think democracy is supposed to work. How should I fit this in? To take this as more than entertainment, or take this as more of an exercise of a cat oh, following okay. a laser, or more than just an IRL, oh, there they go again, but to actually understand the gravity of this, how am I supposed to care, or how, how am I supposed to fit it into a larger narrative? so that that helps us build a movement to actually get a better democracy?
5: Well, I think you start with thinking about who this stuff impacts, you know, the machinations in Washington have real-world implications. Uh, There are millions of Americans out there who are helped by the CFPB every single year. Like who and how? Well, in its five-year existence, the CFPB has gone after bad financial actors. So your banks, your Uh, credit card companies, your student loan processors, predatory payday lenders, uh, you know, loan sharks. So who's getting who's
2: getting helped by that? Who are they? What are their names? And how can we talk to them?
5: Well, I I, you know, we probably have to have a show that lasts for weeks because millions of people have been helped. Uh, You know, they've returned uh, twelve billion dollars from these financial cheats into the pockets of the people they screwed over. Over 12 uh, over 20 million Americans have received 12 billion dollars from the CFPB. And it's not taxpayer dollars. It's the CFPB going after these bad actors, getting the money that they stole and giving it back to the people that they stole from. So how do and we tell why, how do we
2: how do we tell that story if one ascribes to we got just another minute I think that's minute what or we're two. doing right
5: now. Yeah.
2: No, let me let me finish this thought. Let me finish this thought. How do we how do we get that story to behind the red wall? If if the, so, my metaphor is that you know, no matter what has happened in news coverage, the approval rating of the current occupant of the White House does not dip below thirty five percent. Doesn't go up above forty three percent, but it doesn't dip below thirty five percent and maybe it doesn't need to maybe that doesn't matter but it does when people talk about a post truth world a post fact world it does make me worried i don't want to accede to that i don't want to throw up my hands and say, oh well i guess that's just how it is how because because people who are getting screwed in their student debt and their credit cards that that is not biased by way of political party that is not biased by way of geography how does that information get to the people you want to get it to here's one place how else do we do that
5: well, if you, if you want to solve the riddle of how do you actually convince people who are unconvincible, I think you'd become a very wealthy person because nobody has that answer. The,
2: the, I, would, are, I, don't, I don't know if I'd go you, that far. Well, let me,
5: let me get my statement out. Please.
2: All right, all right. <laughs> if you poll
5: people about the various things that the CFPB does and you don't tell them anything about the politics of where people stand on these issues, meaning you don't tell them what Trump wants to do. 80-some percent of Democrats support the mission and the activities of the CFPB, 70-some percent of Republicans, 60-some percent of Trump voting Republicans support it. When people find out that Trump is on one side of the issue, those numbers change, but not as much as you'd expect. It's still a majority of Trump Trump people, but the numbers drop drastically. It's still a majority of Republicans, but the numbers drop drastically. And the numbers, of course, go up for Democrats. So, uh, you know, the truth is, One of the ways that you can talk to people about this is by talking about the corrupt D.C. politicians who are allowing this to happen. That is something that tests well across the board, regardless of political stripe. And when you tell them that these corrupt Washington politicians are allowing credit card companies and big banks and predatory lenders uh, and other financial cheats to take advantage of millions of Americans – uh, and that student loan processors are getting away with murder because the D.C. politicians are allowing them to happen. You can keep those people in our column when talking about these policies. All right,
2: so let me pause. I don't know that there
5: is an answer to get people to stop just going with Trump where he goes. So, so There wasn't one with Bush. So, Bush still had 35% at the bottom of the Iraq war.
2: Okay, So the, uh, and so I may only should worry about not the below 35, but I should maybe worry about between the 35 and the 48. Yeah,
5: there is a a large swath in the middle that looks at these issues the same way that we look at them. But I want
2: to quibble with one thing, and I heard you and I appreciate it, and, and I want to say two things. One, I think that this kind of story is among the most important stories that happens. That, yeah. where, that where it actually impacts people's lives, where it demonstrates how we're strong together than we are apart, how there are people who are trying to use the public thing just to, just to extract resource from people rather than benefit people. I think it's enormously important. The other thing yeah. you said, though, I, I want to quibble with, which is every time we say, whoever the we is, that we say corrupt politicians, that we reinforce a frame that democracy is broken, we, which I, by the way, ascribe to to some degree, we reinforce a frame that government is bad, the reinforce for him. Oh, good. See, politicians are lousy. That's why I put all our, tr- all our faith in a businessman to run the country. And so I'm trying to figure out those, uh, that, that sort of narrative architecture that helps communicate to people. I don't want to say the unpersuadable. I'll say the persuadable. They just don't want to be screwed and they don't want some profiteer screwing them. Last word for you.
5: Last word is I use the language that gets us victories. All right, um, and uh, you know sometimes there's collateral damage in that. There is collateral damage whenever you describe a problem. If you are trying to solve the issue of how people feel about our government, that is a much larger conversation than any single issue. It's something that's across the board, and we can actually wait generations while Democrats and progressives try to herd cats and get everybody singing from the same sheet music. It's been a obsession of the left for generations. It will never happen.
2: Carl, thanks for joining us. All You're listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jeff Smith. We'll be back. Anything goes Friday. We're going to try and experiment rapid fire in just a second. We got like three slots left of callers if you want to call in. If you promise to only take about 15 seconds, we can get through them all. I wanted to just make you aware again of the article in Huffington Post uh, when they started going around to House Republicans, asking them what they would do if Trump pardoned himself. And one of the team here had the idea that you, too, could ask your member of Congress what they would do if Trump pardoned himself and what does the rule of law mean. Uh, Joe, calling from X-ray, congressional voting, speak your piece.
7: (laughs) that's my dad
2: (laughs) i recognize that laugh anywhere i am just calling to pick up on
6: what you said we should do when we think of the sadness of Bourdain, I'm
2: calling to tell you that I love you, and I think you're doing a great job, and I'm very proud of you. <laughs> I love you, too, Dad. you can going make me cry, man. That's sweet. By the way, if you guys want to, I, uh, th- Dad is either a compassionate soul, which I believe he is, or a good promoter, because Dad and I do a show Monday and Thursday mornings called News With My Dad. It has a very simple website that just got launched at newswithmydad.com, and the show is me talking about the news with my dad. I love you, Pop. Have a good one, Rob. Monopolies and technology. Listen on iHeart.
3: Our uh, country is being deprived, and jobs uh, are. It's all because of one company. They control the media, the toy companies, the medical supplies, and the defense contractors. And they have too big an interest in corruption, and we're doing nothing about it. Not enforcing our antitrust and monopoly laws. Our country is not going to fix itself until we address this problem. I investigated this country 30 years. This company is JP Morgan. That's all I got
2: to say. Rob, thanks for listening and thanks for calling in. Jennifer, listening from Stillwater, Minnesota. How still is the water and what do you want to talk about democracy?
1: (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful here in Minnesota. Um, I've had five quick things. Get rid of superdelegates and open the primaries okay. in the Democratic side. We should have a proportional representation parliamentarian system like every other country with like a minimum threshold of 3 to 5 percent so that we could get Greens and Social Democrats in there. Also, stop treating the Constitution like it's this holy document. France, France has had dozens of Constitutions in the past, you know, 50 years. Um, the Constitution was great in 1776. It does not work anymore. I think we need a new Constitution like France always gets. And um, number five, I think that the Democrats need to be like Bernie and stop running on identity politics all the time and
2: start running. I didn't mean to cut you off, Jennifer. You did get four more points than normally you're allowed, but that was an accident. Not your fault. I apologize, and I heard your point, and I hope you also heard Kristen Eberhardt's point of multi-member representation because that's a way, one way, to get additional uh, members, uh, additional representation of additional parties. Uh, Shirley, predatory lending, very quickly.
0: Predatory lending was supported by 52 Democrats in the House uh, and the Black Caucus, These people need to be called out for their taking of of contributions that hurt the people. Social Security Trust Fund report for the actuary came out. Thank
2: you, Shirley, very much. What I want to say to everybody is thank you. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for being a part of this show. I'm even going to say be a part of this movement. We got to almost everybody. Thank you to the team here. Thank you to Tom. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you to all the affiliates. And thank you, Democracy.